0: My name is Tyler, and in my last podcast, The Utah Rewind, we explored a wide variety of movies filmed in Utah, but not one Western. Today, I mean to rectify that. Welcome to the Utah Rewind Western Special. You're watching.
1: You play ball like a...
0: That'll be the day. Today we'll be taking you through the silent era, the golden age of westerns, the post-haze code era of the 60s and 70s, to the blockbuster westerns of the 90s, and all the way into modern day. It's just me today, but I have a couple of guests who will be joining me to talk about these movies. Joining me for our first three segments is my good friend, Theodore Cloud. Theodore Cloud, who is possibly just as big a a movie fan, if not bigger movie movie fan than me. How do you personally feel about Westerns? Are you a fan? I, I uh,
1: from my perspective, I, I'm i a fan of it. I just know uh, on the other side of it what was actually um, taking place for some of those people. And it, it's upsetting. But I don't, I look at the story, I listen to uh, uh, the, the message, and it's, they're rewarding. I like them. One Western, though, one of my favorites that I do know, it was uh, Silverado, but that wasn't done here. Oh, yeah. That was the, the, the start of me really paying attention, and then I've gone back and watched some of Clint Eastwood's work, and it's, it's some good stuff.
0: Because you elaborate on uh, what when, when you mean by the other side?
1: Well, I, I, I don't really like to say African-American because I've never been there, but uh, my DNA, I suppose, at one point was there and during those most of those westerns in that time period there black people were not so nicely treated in those saloons and um, they were kind of like still second citizens so to not think about any of that um, and to move forward with the story that's being provided i I enjoy um, what's what's actually happening in the movie and more than concentrating on the real life to say reverse or flip
0: of what's being portrayed in front of me. I think you actually bring up a good point because th- this is actually probably something we'll talk about a little bit in the early years of the Western movies. Is uh, uh it's very much the tale of white people and we're yes. going to cut co- you know take over this I land, and an call, it our, yeah. call it our home. <laughs> so, really so you're not wrong, and especially you know African Americans as well as Native Americans in particular, yeah, and, and, and I happen to be both, so yeah. That is true. Eh. Yeah, because that's where the name uh, Cloud comes from. Yeah, my family. That's right. Um, So let's talk a little bit about this. Let's go way, way back. So the interesting thing about Westerns is they have been a part of movies since the very beginning. One of the first movies ever made uh, by, like, Thomas Edison back in the day was The Great Train Robbery. Mm. Which is a short film. It's actually on YouTube. You can watch it real quick, uh, and it's just about Cowboys holding up a train, you know, huh. and that was back in the 19... 19- I think I might have seen cause. that where the, the horses are going
1: really fast after the back of the train, really fast. <laughs> it's the one
0: where the guy just points the Horse, gun at the yeah, camera and just starts shooting. And there's a bang bang written out on the... Yeah. <laughs> I have seen something like that. Yeah. And mostly, we're going to be focusing on the films that were actually made and shot in Utah, because it, it's kind of interesting to compare these movies and just see how things have changed and why they came here. You know, it, people study directors' filmographies, they study actors' filmographies. We're just uh, we're discussing the filmography of a location. Wow. So I think it's kind of a different spin on the on um, a typical movie podcast or mm-hmm. how people typically look at the the way films are studied. Right. Have you watched a lot of silent films in your day? I've, uh, like I say, gotten them done just for um, you know,
1: uh water cooler conversation. Oh, okay. You know, did you ever see or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. I, was, I, I do, uh, I have
0: checked a few. Okay. So I've done a little research. Um, the first few movies that actually came to Utah, um, the very first, this might be the first movie ever filmed in Utah. It took all the way until 1924 Jeez. to actually get this done. Because for the most part, I think early movies, let's just do it in California. That's where everybody's making them. Yeah. It took a while for kind of everything to start getting bigger. and mm-hmm. it In the 1920s, the movies are officially a business. Right. So now it makes more sense. Hey, let's go around. Let's film in places people have never seen before. Get that cinematography going. Yeah. And uh, the first movie was called The Deadwood Coach. <sighs> The interesting thing about this movie, it, it's kind of a shame because the plot of this movie actually sounds really cool. Uh, a man searches for the villain who murders his parents. That's the plot, but this movie seems to be completely lost. You can't find it on DVD, VHS. It's gone. You go on um, like Letterboxd, which is an app for people who, who to just like rate movies. It's like a social media app. Almost no one has seen it, uh, and most movies from the nineteen twenties, I think, are just gone. Uh, so this appears to be one of them but it was a uh, apparently a pretty big deal back in the day tom mix was uh basically the john lane of the silent era he Jeez. was in the movie yeah. there's old like articles i found online like john- tom mix is coming to he's coming to cedar city he's gonna film a movie people were real excited <laughs> about it and uh his horse actually gets his own credit in the movie what his horse has an imdb page tony the horse Tony. Tony the Horse. I can't imagine it's all the same animal because he has 44 films credited to Tony the Horse. <laughs> Whereas, like, Tom Mix, like the actual actor, 258 credits to his name just listed wow. online. This dude.
1: That's a lot for a guy I kind of never heard
0: of. Wow. Yeah. And <laughs> Until most, today. Yeah. yeah. And most of his movies you probably can't even watch at this point anymore. Wow. So, Crazy. it's That's unfortunate. The only one I could find around uh, that looks like you could still find it is a little harder to track, but it's called The Vanishing American. It's about a tribe of Navajo living on a reservation who is overseen by an Indian-hating agent. Wow. So this, yeah, starting right off the bat. It's really deep, bro. Yeah, it starts getting a little hard. It, uppercut, uh, uppercut, body blow. It does not have a lot of reviews on Letterboxd. Apparently people really don't respond to this one today. Uh, a lot of people are just like, oh, no, this is racist. But there is a DVD, but it is uh, kind of rather expensive as, like, these things get out of print and they don't make them anymore. Right. So, like, you can buy the DVD used on Amazon for $55. It's kind of a... Uh, used. Yeah, used. Not even a new thing. Blockbuster. So sad you're gone. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunate. And that's largely what we could find of the silent Um, That I could find, at least. Um, It didn't really explode. I don't think people were really down to film in a new location um, just yet. Um, But this all changed with one movie. Which officially started the golden age of Westerns. Uh, Have you ever heard of Stagecoach? I have. What do you know about Stagecoach?
1: Um, Just the the scenes of uh, the of the coach running through and and as far as the plot of the story I was such a kid I I can't remember but I do remember seeing it.
0: My, my pops well he really liked the Austin's there you yeah. go this would have been one of his I saw this a couple of, a, a couple of years ago uh, it came out in 1939 mm. and this was the first film to go to Monument Valley. Let's go over a little about the history of Monument Valley, because we're going to be coming back to this place a lot. Here's a quick clip from Vox I'd like to play.
2: Monument Valley is on the Arizona-Utah border inside the Navajo Nation Reservation. Its towering red sandstone formations, called buttes, rise hundreds of feet above the desert floor. For centuries, only Native Americans, specifically the Paiute and Navajo, occupied this remote landscape fielding conflicts with the U.S. government. Non-indigenous people began to visit in the early 20th century, and in the early 1920s, Colorado sheep trader Harry Golding and his wife Leona set up a trading post on the Utah side of Monument Valley, which at the time was just outside of the Navajo Reservation. In the 1930s, this area was hit hard by drought, the Great Depression, and a forced reduction of livestock by the U.S. government, which slashed a vital source of income. Golding tried for years to draw attention to Monument Valley's stunning landscape, thinking tourism could help boost the local economy. But according to Golding, the area's big break didn't come until 1938, when he brought photos of Monument Valley to Hollywood. When the film company that made Stagecoach wrapped production and left Monument Valley in late 1938, it had paid Navajo locals somewhere around $50,000. Hundreds had worked as crew members and extras, though they played the roles of Apache bad guys. According to reports at the time, that money was enough to get them through the winter. And as Monument Valley's reputation grew, Golding's plan to bring in tourism started working. The Monument Valley Navajo Tribal Park now sees around 350,000 visitors each year. Tourists can visit the Trading Post and go on Navajo-led tours of the famous Buttes.
0: And this was was not the first movie that John Wayne did. John Wayne did a lot of B-movies before this, but this is like the movie that made him. Funny enough, he also did a movie called The Man from Utah, which I got real excited about and watched and then yeah, realized it uh, was filmed in California. And oh. I was like, oh, well, I wasted my time. Nice.
1: <laughs> no, you didn't. You got to see a good movie. I
0: got to see that John Wayne. The, the Man from Utah. It was okay. They, they filmed a lot of the rodeo. This was still the early 30s. People were excited about just the home movies of the rodeo. Yeah. But Stagecoach. So but the plot of Stagecoach is basically there's this, group of colorful characters who mm-hmm. just need to travel from one place to another for right. various reasons. And they know that there's this conflict going on with the Native American tribe. Mm-hmm. And everyone's telling them, don't go out there. Yeah. They go out there because, they're you know, all these people are just gotta, that desperate. Got to deliver those p- packages. Yep. And they meet up with John Wayne in the middle. Mm. John Wayne actually has kind of a swagger in his, in his youth. Yeah. He, he reminds me actually of, like, young Harrison Ford, surprisingly. Oh, surprisingly. Wow. And he's basically helps them. He said it was early. Was he delivering his lines the way? Not as much. No, he didn't have the. He didn't didn't develop the John. Yeah, yeah. He didn't have the 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 saddle up pilgrim. Yeah, it wasn't as kind of like Sean Connery. If you Uh, watch uh, the first James Bond movie, didn't quite have the Sean Connery. Connery.
1: (laughs) You're the notorious Ringo Kid. My friends just call me Ringo.
2: Nickname I had as a kid. My name's Henry.
1: Seems to me I knew your family, Henry. Didn't I fix your arm once when you uh, bucked off a horse? Are you Doc Boone? I certainly am. Now, let's see. I just been honorably discharged from the Union Army after the War of the Rebellion. You mean
2: the war for the Southern Confederacy, sir?
1: I mean nothing of the kind, sir.
2: That was my kid brother broke his arm. You did a good job, Doc, even if you was drunk.
1: Thank you, son. Professional compliments are always pleasing. Yes, they are. What happened to that boy whose arm
2: I fixed?
0: He was murdered. But the interesting thing about that movie, though, is it turns basically into a huge chase movie at mm. the end. Mm. And there's actually a lot of really impressive stunt work mm. Um, because they literally would not ever do it this way again. Like, there's a part where uh, a guy climbs to the front of the stagecoach, past all the horses, and then right. drops right in the middle of them and lets everything run over the top of them. Right. And there's all these shots where people will, like, shoot the the tribe that's coming after them, and you'll see the horse just slam into the ground right. and flip the rider. And the way they did it is, like, a little humane. Like, it's interesting to see now, but I'm very glad they don't do it that way anymore. They've got, like, a wire and, like, put it in the horse's mouth uh, and, like, pull him down. No. Yeah, yeah, horrible. Like, Aww. very glad they do not do this no. anymore, because it's just, mm-mm. Well, 2021, they ain't going to have a film career. You see what's happening right now? Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, but the stunts were all done by this guy named uh, Yakima Canuck, who is what was What was his name? Yakima isn't that guy. One isn't more him? time? Yakima Canuck. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. And he is basically a landmark, because this is still the 30s. Wow. This, this is, you know, people are learning yeah. how stunts can be performed. And he pioneered a lot of just these outlandish things and really physical things. So the Go chase is that. genuinely intriguing to watch.
1: Hmm.
0: Uh, but that was the, filmed out in Monument Valley, or Monument Valley, uh, which we'll be talking about a lot. They got the stacked. It's got the, yeah. yes, the buttes, the Red Rock. Like Marlboro Country. Yep. Yeah, That basically sets the whole film industry on fire. They were like, this place. We want to go there. Mm-hmm. We need to film here. That that's what kind of helped me to choose to move to Utah, believe it or not. Really?
1: That kind of picturesque. And I—I I moved here and for the first six months or so I wore a cowboy hat because I thought <laughs> people were like, Where are you from, out. Like, no, I'm in Utah wearing a cowboy hat. Else, you know, where's your cowboy hats at, you know? Uh, I missed that one. I still have a cowboy hat.
0: There you go. K Steve Poppin' back got, on again. Do I have a... I don't think you I own a one? cowboy hat. Yeah. I've had one at yeah, some point in my cowboy. life. Get your cowboy.
1: You live in Utah. Get your cowboy hat. <laughs> Come on. Unless everybody starts wearing them again tomorrow. Let's oh. go. <laughs> <laughs> with the we'll mask. Bring it back. Be looking like bandits. Give me the Robin's
0: Deeds. There you go. <laughs> I bet you can go into Utah. Those places. You'll find guys wearing oh, cowboy yeah, hats. The They're airport, out. There. At the airport, there's oh, a yeah. few guys with cowboy hats. Cowboy hats, hats oh. and car hats. It's commitment, though. don't want to just. You gotta get the boots and the jeans. And no the no shirt. Sure. Yeah, you, you gotta go. You gotta get the tassels you uh, on your... Oh, way. yes. And, whoa, some, whoa. and some little green yeah. stones. <laughs> yeah. It's a whole it's lot. Spurs? No, that's too much.
1: <laughs> Chaps? Too much. Too much. <laughs> Damn it.
0: Oh. But yeah, so that movie, which speaking of which I should mention, was directed by John Ford. Two guys named John. John Wayne and John Ford. Mm. These guys go back to Utah. They make Seven movies between the two of them. Wow. So they've got... A little business going. Oh, yeah. They had a business going. They got Stagecoach, of course. They got... My Darling Clementine. Clementine! They got Ford Apache. Ford Apache, I
1: think I've seen that one.
0: Have you? Did you like that one? That one I have not seen. It's one of those uh, men's movies. Strong. Yeah. There's a lot of that. Okay. Actually, we'll talk. We'll talk about this. There's one That's movie I want idea. to talk about here in a second. Uh, <laughs> but after Fort Apache, they got She Wore a Yellow Ribbon, mm-hmm. Sergeant Rutledge, How the West Was Won, and then the movie I would actually like to talk about, The Searchers, which is a much later, very much John Wayne pilgrim. Yeah. That'll be the day. That one was quite a bit later. That's 1956. Wow. Still very much in the the golden age of the westerns. Yeah. 1939. Mm-hmm. That was to a, kind of the the, the early '60s. That's that's stronger the big time. At, yeah. At that, point, that point. And this movie, The Searchers. That's the one that I think all of the big directors like. Like Martin mm. Scorsese loves this movie. Mm.
2: And I screened for her a new print of The Searchers by John Ford. You know, oh, that's 15. my favorite Western. That's yeah, the Western it's the ever best. Made. It's yeah. the best. And I saw that when I was 13 years old. And uh, uh, the reason why it became my favorite film over the years
0: because. Whenever I saw the film again, we sought it out. We went to different theaters to see it. We saw it on television many times. Whenever I saw the picture again, I always learned more. I, I, I experienced more with the film and appreciated it more. Uh, great poetry. Frank Nugent wrote it, I think. Yeah. And uh, the lines, the dialogue yeah. is so
2: poetic. The framing, framing show. The framing. And yeah. uh, to have seen it originally in VistaVision, which is what I saw yeah. it originally when I was 13. And I wanted to, I waited uh, for my children, usually I wait. We, sca- we, stay-
0: we stagger the film experiences. Like when they're nine years old, you show them certain things. And, not ready yet for the searchers to appreciate <laughs> it. Or Citizen Kane, I showed her two days ago, a beautiful 35 millimeter print. Have you ever seen this one? The searchers no, no. that recall anything? But it's that journey, you
1: know, it's that journey that you get pulled in and then you experience those kinds of mm-hmm. things. You actually, if you believe in the character, kind of feel what they feel. I, that's what I love about them. You know, they, they take you
0: until it's over and then mm-hmm. you get back to this. This one though, it's got an interesting story. So this goes along with what you were saying, where it's the man's man. It's, you know, the the so the plot of the movie is uh, John Wayne's niece uh, gets kidnapped by a by a Native American tribe, right. and he's going to get her back. Yeah, and that's the movie. You know, there is no police, there is no system to rely on. He's no. going to go out and he's going to exactly. do this himself. Right. And so that's the aspect of this movie I think people really gravitate towards. Mm-hmm. I'm actually not super big on the searchers personally, though, because there's a lot of other stuff for it. John Wayne is overtly racist in this yeah, movie. Yeah. If you're looking to start watching westerns, I, like even though this is held up as like a classic, right. or just like the, the best one, I don't think it's. But it's just lines that he's saying, you know. It's not. Yeah.
1: I, don't, I wouldn't think that he really
0: feels that way. You know, it's
1: just trying to portray that negative so they can get the reaction from us.
0: I've heard kind of mixed things, surprisingly, about John Wayne. Mm-hmm. On one hand, uh, people say he was just super nice, mm-hmm. you know. Um, like, there was a, a Native American family whose, like, daughter like got sick. He let them borrow his private jet, you know, to mm-hmm. get this girl to the hospital. Wow. So, on like one hand, very nice. But then I've heard, like, he'll, he'll do interviews and be like, no, it was absolutely important for us to, to colonize America and take over. Mm-hmm. And so complicated guy that we yeah. most likely won't get into but his character in this movie whose name is uh, Ethan this guy goes out of his way to to just be racist there's mm. a scene in the movie where they find a you know there's been a little skirmish a little battle they find a a chief who's uh, who's died mm. and he pulls out his gun and he shoots out his eyes you know even though the, the guy's been way well dead. dead yeah yeah and they're just like what did what did you do that for he's like because this guy believes if when you die if you lose your eyes if something happens to your eyes you can't find your way in the afterlife so he did that yeah just to be a just jerk not cool yeah
3: this has come a long way before he died captain
2: well ethan there's another one you can score up for your brother i don't like it what don't you like
3: engines on a raid generally hide their dead and if you don't care anything about us knowing, it only spells one thing. They ain't afraid of us following or of us catching up with them either.
2: You can back out any time you want, Nesby. Now,
3: Ethan, I didn't say that. Didn't say such. Easy, Nesby, easy.
2: <laughs> Why don't you finish the job? What good did that do you? By what you preach, none. But what that commence believes, ain't got no eyes, he can't enter the spirit land, has to wander forever between the winds. You get it, Reverend. Come on, blanket ahead. And it's also kind of a...
0: There's a lot of, like, strange little things about the movie. Like, there's weird music cues. Um, like, some of the music sounds like it's like sitcommy. Like, like, like people are supposed to be laughing. Like he'll, he'll say a badass line. And then there's
2: this (laughs) music. Ethan, what are you doing anyway? Getting my money back, you idiot. What do you suppose? We did all right. We? Why, you just staked me out there like a piece of bait. You went and built up the fire. You fixed it so I could get my brains blown out.
0: What if you'd missed?
2: Never occurred to
0: me. Well, let's get out of here. But I can can understand just the perspective of like, you're getting out there and you're gonna do a job. And the interesting thing about the movie though, that makes it a little more complex is when they eventually find the girl, the tribe is like her family. She's like yeah, well, yeah, Stockholm. you guys were supposed to come with Stockholm. me, but now now yeah. I, like these I'm that's I'm like cool Stockholm, with these bro. guys.
1: That's, that's Stockholm.
0: <laughs> Maybe. But yeah, they have to basically you know, just try like to escape so many times. They just have to like pull her away. Yeah. The one part of this movie though that you might recognize, there's this uh opening and closing shot of John Wayne in the silhouette of this house. And he's just like See like you know monuments Valley and all these red rocks, and then it's like all dark inside. He's just kind of standing there, and I've seen that shot used a couple of different times, like Age of Ultron. They use it for Captain America, where he's standing outside the the house, just kind of looking, and then he turns away and walks outside. That's like a classic cowboy shot. Like he wants to go in with the civilization, but he can't. He belongs it's out the here area. in the, the beasts and the animals. Yeah. Definitely a very well made movie, but not for its time. Yeah, not one I could really. It's not my first Western pick. I'm still you going to watch that at that yeah.
1: point, or is that a color?
0: That's a color. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, most of the movie looks really good. Like it's these great wide vistas. Yeah. But then there's a lot of it, too, where they're filming on like a sound stage. I uh, you can tell, too. Yeah, you can, you can tell. tell. It's it like there's a Just painted don't look background. For that. You don't look for that. It's like stage,
2: watching a yeah. stage thing. You're
1: not mad because they're not really there yeah. and they built it on a stage in front of you. So. Yeah, the go brother.
0: Yeah, from there. So not you know not only John Wayne and John Ford, but tons of people. So oh. they would make tons and tons of westerns during this time. Kit Carson, Billy the Kid. You wow. know everybody wow. is just like we got to film in Utah. It's it becomes a classic.
1: Well, that was the look that was established. So
0: you have to maintain that look. You can't mm-hmm. go to Arkansas. Oh, no, yeah.
1: Yeah, stay out here yeah. that's where they said it is. Yep.
0: <laughs> and the funny thing too is like you know. Monuments in, Valley in that movie is playing the part of Texas. Right. The, the, oh, all these people are supposed yeah. to be from Texas. <laughs> this is not Texas. No, not been to Texas. No. That was cool. <laughs> that, not no. cool. But that's what you want. It became just the iconic image of the Old West. Mm. So that largely covers the Golden Age. that they kind of peter out a little bit television starts coming out it becomes harder and harder to really get competitive and you get the 60s the 60s and the 70s coming along where you're the goal now is to not do the classic tough guy's got to solve a problem and he's going to go out in the world and do it they they tweak it a little bit we've got to we've got to come up with something different and you know so this uh period the 60s and 70s the big thing about this era is i don't know if you've ever heard of the Hayes code Hmm. So the Hays Code was written uh, actually around in the golden age, just prior to the, in the thirties, a whole bunch of restrictions and like content restrictions and things you had to do a certain way, you know, because we're, we're making these movies and we have to censor them for the public. Right. Uh, by the sixties and seventies, it's gone. <laughs> uh, and now you can make things a lot, you know, a lot more titillating and a lot more violent and you can go an extra step in these movies like one thing that they talk about especially with the western is if you shot a guy you couldn't do it all in one shot you had to show the guy shooting and show a guy falling and you just got it from there and now you're shooting people and it's bloody i have to get that going maybe i like a a bloody movie me personally i kind of respond better to this area Uh, Personally, I am actually a big fan of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I know you've seen that movie as well. I have. Any favorite parts or anything? Uh, Just the banter back and forth between the two of them.
1: Just the push and pull.
0: Oh, yeah, they're great. Absolutely.
2: Is is that what you call giving cover? Is that what you call running? If I knew you were going to stroll...
1: They were really handsome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> prime of their youth and these these uh these two gentlemen I think that's where they kind of took off in their careers as well
0: Paul Newman had been around for a while he was real well known this was Robert Redford's, Robert Redford's. first big role yeah they talk about that on the because uh, I watched the, the Blu-ray of it the other day and they talk about we wanted to you know the first opening scene is just this long close up of Redford doing this little card deal and just looking really intimidating, and they wanted to do that because it's like, hey, we got to really sell this new guy, because uh, the director had known him from Broadway and really, really fought for him to be in this movie. The role was originally written for so Paul Newman to be Butch, and then they were looking at Jack Lemmon, they were looking at Marlon Brando, they were looking at Steve McQueen, uh, Warren Beatty. So you know, a lot of heavy hitters. McQueen
1: would have would have been able to,
0: to do that, but Redford obviously. I think it would have been an interesting movie Steve McQueen and yeah. Paul Newman for sure. Those two at the time, those two were like, they were the guys. They were. And to me the writing of this movie is, you know, cuz The Searchers is yeah, 1956. This is 1969. Yeah, so it's yeah. it's a decent amount of time. Yeah. But it feels like light years difference. Like it feels like it is such a much better written script. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I watched it again and there's like the the whole fight where he's uh, his one his name's harvey there's this big tough guy who's like gonna challenge butch's authority and take over the gang and he challenges him to a knife fight and butch he just kicks him in the (laughs) crunch guns or knives
1: neither pick i don't want to shoot with you harvey anything you say butch
2: maybe there's a way to make a profit in this Better on Logan.
1: I would, but who'd better on you? Sundance! When we're done, if he's dead, you're welcome to stay.
2: <clears throat> Listen, I don't mean to be a sore loser, but uh, when it's done, if I'm dead, kill him. I'd love to. No, no, not yet. Not until me and Harvey get the rules straightened out rules in a knife fight
1: no rules What?
2: well if there ain't gonna be any rules let's get the fight started someone count one two three go one two three go i was really
1: rooting for you butch
2: <laughs> well thank you flat
0: that's what sustained me in my time of trouble and then afterwards and this is the thing i never noticed is like afterwards he's just like what was his plan by the way what did he think was so great Oh, he wants to rob the train going both ways. Because no one's ever done that before. That's a good idea. Let's do that. Well,
1: <laughs> like, yeah. I'm going to
0: humiliate this guy. And we'll just do his plan. <laughs> and there was a girl, right? There was always a girl. Oh, yes. There was a girl. Her name. They were, they were uh, both in love with a few will. Catherine Ross yeah. was her name. The cool thing about that I like about this movie is it is very different from those old westerns. These two guys are kind of like barely making it. You know, the, a good chunk of the movie is them running away from these yeah. law guys that they're not super sure, but they think they know who they are. And if mm-hmm. that's and if they are who they think they are, they're in trouble. So these guys are constantly just like just barely making it. You know, they got to jump over a waterfall to <laughs> to,
1: to get home
0: okay. And eventually, they just run to Brazil and or Bolivia just to get away from these guys. It's been a while. That's a good one. I'd recommend it, and a lot of interesting music hmm. in that movie. It was funny to me. I I remember watching this for the first time when I was about fourteen, and I remember that because Spider-Man Two had also came out, and both of those movies play that "Raindrops is Falling on Your Head" song. <laughs> and and as a fourteen year old, I'm like, this song is so stupid, but for some reason, it's in all my favorite movies. <laughs> I don't know
2: why that is. <laughs> That doesn't mean my eyes will soon be turning red Cry is not for me, cuz I'm never gonna stop the rain by complaining because I'm free. Nothing's worrying
0: me. So that movie, uh filmed mostly in Zions National Park. Oh wow. Uh and then parts of uh, Mexico for when they go to uh Bolivia. But okay. Zion's National Park is uh, the bulk of the Opening of that movie. Really, really great location. And uh, of course, Butch Cassidy, actually from Utah, oh. the actual historical figure. There you go. They say his real name in the movie, his name is Robert Leroy Parker. Uh, and he was born to uh, a couple of Mormon settlers in the 1860s. Jeez. And apparently, somewhat pretty accurately portrayed. He was uh, very much a nonviolent guy, you know, never, never shot anyone, w- was just. There to do his business and make a buck, and mm. and same kind of thing. People just seem to love the guy, even though they were, you know, he's taking all their money from the bank. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh let's talk about a couple of the guys you like. Um, so there are, of course, you know, we talked about the two Johns, John Wayne and uh, John Ford. They were mm. the the main guys of the Golden Age. There's the two main guys of the transitive period, the transitional period of the '60s and '70s. Mm. Clint yeah. Eastwood and the director, Sergio Leone. So the movies that put uh, Clint Eastwood really on the spot were, um, they call it nowadays the Man With No Name trilogy. Mm -hmm. The actual movies are uh, Fistful of Dollars, For a Few Dollars More, and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Mm -hmm. And those are what's called spaghetti westerns. Are you familiar with that term at all? I've heard that. What What would you say that that term means? An Italian director? Exactly. You got it. Italian director. It's a cheeky little name. They apparently they do this for a whole bunch of other movies. So if it's a Japanese director, it's a ramen western. If oh. it's a German director, it's a uh, so, sauerkraut western. That whole, that whole racism thing. <laughs> it's just it just lives, you know,
1: and it's accepted. But not
0: anymore. I'm just
1: twenty twenty one.
0: So those movies were of course uh, filmed with uh, an Italian crew, an American actor, oh. and shot out in Spain. But they were big, big hits, and eventually both of those guys made their way he, to Utah. He was the only English-speaking person on the set, or was he? I immolizing? believe because there's also Lee Van Schreif, who was kind of like his antagonist for most of those movies. I believe he did as well. But yeah, I'm pretty sure a lot of those. If you watch them, there's there's Italian actors and they right. double them up with English. Okay. There, there's a lot of that.
1: What was the guy's name?
0: The antagonist? Oh, uh, Lee Van Schreif.
1: He's, he was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And again,
0: he, he did the same thing where he hardly said anything. Oh, yeah. But you knew mm-hmm. what was happening. The movie, uh, so yeah, the director, Sergio, Sergio Leone. Unfortunately, both of these guys never actually did a movie together in Utah. Oh. But they both made some pretty good movies by themselves in Utah. His is actually kind of uh, a big, big classic. It's called Once Upon a Time in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was filmed... Uh, so of course Monument Valley they go to Moab and this movie it's got that same kind of music like the opening <gasps> the <laughs> opening gunfight is uh, this guy's got this little whistle and like, you yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. say <laughs>
0: gunfight of like these three guys and they're just squaring off but the thing that really struck me in this movie was um so right before I'd watched it you know I didn't plan these back to back but I'd seen this movie called um uh 12 Angry Men which Mm -hmm. is about you know jurors and trying to figure out if this poor little kid who grew up in a rough neighborhood really committed this crime or not and eventually they kind of figure out all together that oh no he's innocent and Mm -hmm our gut reaction was, no, we're going to put this kid away. And there's one actor in the movie, uh, Henry Fonda, who is like the good guy who's really sticking up for this kid. In this movie, Once Upon a Time in the West, his opening scene, he straight up just kills a kid. Like, he has the most, like, brutal, like, villain (laughs) scene. And it blew my mind. I was like, oh, my
1: gosh, Henry Fonda. I know, but he had that good
0: boy attitude in most of his movies. It it was like seeing Tom Hanks. He probably enjoyed doing it. <laughs> you oh. it was like watching Tom Hanks kill a kid. You you're just wow. like, what? The, no, not this guy. No, that dummy. But once upon a dime of the West, that is, that's a pretty good one. It's a big, long, like three hour movie. Jeez. Like it's a it's a marathon to get it's through. Going. but it if if you liked any of those Clint Eastwood movies, it's got that same kind of thing. It's the same thing, but for yeah. like three hours. Yeah, three hours. He's he's got a big cast. There's like Charles Brawlin in it and a whole bunch of, or Charles Bronson in it and a whole bunch of really popular actors of the time. And it's got that same kind of music. Because the guy who did the music was uh, Ennio Morricone, who actually just died recently. Um, He's the one who did all that kind of classic (laughs) Western songs.
1: That stuff was just perfect. Couldn't use anything else in place for that. And and get the same kind of. Aggression that was necessary or uh, emotions that were stirred up from it. It was just, just, that's why it's classic.
0: Oh, absolutely. The funny thing too is like, I don't even know how I got exposed to that, but like we would whistle that song when we were pretending to be cowboys as kids. I don't know how that got exposed to us. I don't know how we knew... I don't know how we knew that that song meant cowboys. Like we, I don't know, cartoons or what. It, like it just I became just mocked, mocked it. Yeah, and then you go back and you watch old movies like, oh, that's where that's from. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Uh, and then, <laughs> I love that stuff, man. Uh, and then we got to talk about at least one Clint Eastwood movie oh. while we're here. And this one was actually directed by Clint as well, too. Yeah. Which one? Uh, the Outlaw Josie Wales. Because you're much more of a Clint Eastwood guy. I do.
1: Mistaken. I do like the Clint Eastwoods. I enjoy it because it's uh, sometimes it's all attitude, mm-hmm. and then the music. You know, they they get you. Um. But if you if you look at it like it's corny, it is. It's really corny. But if you let yourself go, you're with Clint. You're, you're in that
0: moment with him
1: and he doesn't even say anything and you know what's happening, you know?
0: That is a good thing, Clint, yeah. You, you can do a lot without saying a lot. He can.
3: Yeah.
1: Or they
0: make it seem like yeah. he can. I'm sure he can.
2: I'm looking for Josie Wales. that would be me.
1: You're wanted, Wales. I reckon i'm right popular
2: you a body hunter man's got to do something for a living these days diane ain't much of a living boy
0: the one part of this i really remember is so this movie is more of like a revenge movie mm. than anything else the opening scene of this movie is just like clint eastwood like farming with his like sweet happy yeah, family killed, yeah yeah and and you see like these Burton cowboys just running down yeah. and they're gonna get them, uh, but so I brutal. all right. But I remember uh, how dare you have a farm? You <laughs> kill them all, you know. I know. But I remember the uh, the scene right after that is it kind of reminds me of like John Wick. He mm. gets out his old revolver, yeah. Sets out like well, no, it's not like some cans or nothing. He gets like a tree post and he shoots at it and just misses by a mile. And then he just keeps going Practices. and then man. going and then going. And eventually he's just hitting that same spot over and over and over and over again. And he's like, I'm ready. Go now, get now I'm like, yeah. okay. Fantastic
1: stuff, man. That's
0: what made these guys who they are. That largely puts us uh, up until uh, the 1980s where it becomes mm. just a vacuum that's a wrap on uh, Mr. Theo Cloud. Up next, we'll be talking about the modern age of the Western. I've got a, another guest coming in for that, but I'd like to thank you for your time this evening. Yeah, man, It's been my pleasure. Absolutely. Appreciate thank it. you.
2: Hmm. Hey, Butch! Don't you know Westerns are dead? Speaking of dead...
0: All right, and for this segment, I have a guest with me who's going to be discussing the modern era of westerns filmed in Utah. With me is...
3: Shaylee, thanks for having me.
0: Thank you. So as far as, like, western movies filmed in Utah, the 1980s is pretty much like a dark age. There are hardly any movies from the 80s that are westerns that are filmed in Utah. There's just nothing. Okay. And I think mostly it's because, like, you know, with Utah, you've got Monument Valley, you've got these Red Rocks. It became kind of a cliche at that point. Nobody really wanted to do it because it had been done before. With the exception of one particularly popular movie franchise. Back to the
2: Future. Okay. but
0: Back to the Future
3: isn't a Western. The third one is. It is?
0: Back to the Future 3.
3: How is it a Western?
0: So in that one, Marty McFly travels back in time... To rescue Doc Brown uh, from being uh, killed by an, by an Old West outlaw.
1: Doc! Marty! I gave
2: you explicit instructions not to come here, but to go directly back to 1985. I know, Doc, but I had to come.
1: But it's good to see you, Marty. Marty, you're going to have to do something about those clothes. You walk around town dressed like that, you're liable to get shot
2: or hanged. What idiot dressed you in that outfit? You did.
3: I don't think I've ever seen Back to the Future 3.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. It's kind of the weakest of the three, but, I mean, it's Back to the Future. They're all good.
3: So where was it filmed?
0: It was filmed, so mostly just in, uh, so Back to the Future 3, mostly just filmed in Monument Valley. Okay. Um. And mostly, and there's a very specific reason why they wanted to do that. So in the first Back to the Future movie, they didn't really want the, you know, the 1950s to look like a historic 1950s. They wanted it to look the way it did in movies. So that's why they filmed it on the Universal Studio backlot, because a lot of movies in the 50s were filmed back there. So they were like, okay, you know, we can just make that look really dirty for the 80s, and then we can clean it up real nice, and it'll look like it did in the 50s. So... For Back to the Future 3, when they're going back to the Old West, um, let's go to where all the Western movies were filmed, you know, like Stagecoach and, you know, all those John Wayne movies. Let's make it look like a movie from the Western. So it really makes no sense because Hill Valley's in California. Why does it look like Southern Utah out of nowhere? (laughs) But that was the idea behind it.
3: Got it. Okay.
0: Yeah. And that was probably the biggest well-known movie from the... Well, 80s franchise. It came out in 1990, but they filmed it a little earlier because they filmed one and two back-to-back.
3: Okay. So then the 90s.
0: Yeah. So the 90s, there's a very big resurgence of movies based on TV shows. Because now we're in the modern era. We're starting to look for big-name IPs that we can make movies out of. We want movies that have got brand recognition. We want an established IP, something with a built-in audience. So there was a ton of movies based on TV shows. The Adams Family, The Fugitive, Miami Vice, Dukes of Hazard. Anyway, lots of ones like that. Okay. So there's two uh, movie franchises that were based on westerns. The first one was Maverick, which had Mel Gibson, Jodie Foster. That came out in 1994. And that's mostly about, they're kind of like gamblers in the Wild West. So it's kind of a fun movie where everyone's just kind of backstabbing each other. <laughs> just like having fun like that. I watched it not too long ago. It's, it's it's pretty fine. It got good reviews. Okay. Or, you know, pretty decent reviews. It made a good amount of money. Mostly it's filmed in Glen Canyon. Okay. So it's got a lot of that Red Rock. And I think they did a lot of these to kind of call back to those old westerns. We're making something based on an old TV show. The original TV show ran in like the 19... It was 1957. It had about five seasons of television. So when they are making the movie, it's like, okay, hey, let's make it look more like kind of that era.
3: That makes sense.
0: Yeah. And then you recently watched Wild Wild West. What do I like to call it? Wiki Wiki Wild Wild West. (laughs) Yeah. What did you think about that?
3: Honestly, I feel like the movie's trying a little bit too hard. Um, because they're kind of trying to bring, you know, like you said, they're trying to bring in, like, kind of a built-in audience, but there are so many, like, innuendos in the, in it, and, um, it just kind of felt like, it just felt like they were trying too hard. I don't know, and maybe if I, maybe that I'm watching it now, you know, in 2021, maybe... I mean, I was a lot younger when it came out, so I don't think I recognized any of it. So now that I'm watching it in 2021, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe not. But um, I don't know. I mean, Will Smith is a really good actor, and so he does a really good job. And his partner, I cannot remember who that is. Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein. Okay, and Kevin Klein. I mean, he did a really good job, but honestly, I don't really see. I don't remember seeing him in any other movies, and so it kind of just felt like. I don't know, like, they were trying to connect it back to history a little bit, too, and I felt like it just didn't, like, work.
0: I feel like they went a little too not historically accurate with it. There's a giant robot spider in the movie.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah, of course.
0: (laughs) This is not a mirage. And if this is not a mirage,
2: then that is Spider Canyon. What now, Mr. Plan Man? Now, well, what do we have? We have intelligence, we have a sense of purpose, we have the
0: element of surprise. So, what does Lovelace have?
1: Well, he has his own city. Yes. Well, I'm coming to that, nice to see an invention that actually works.
3: I mean, I guess the hydraulics and stuff that was really cool for, you know, the '90s. I don't know. I just think watching it now, though, if you go back, it's like the end of the movie. They give them like your secret service number one and two, and it's like that's not how that really happened, you know? <laughs> so what i think
0: full cards on the table though this movie is actually mostly filmed in arizona but they go to monument valley which is right on the utah arizona border Mm -hmm. so this one's kind of scooting the line a little bit for this podcast but what i like talking about this one in particular is it actually is set in utah because that's where the climax all happens
3: so actually like promontory where they Mm -hmm. do the railroad crossing that i'm actually like I lived, I grew up 10 minutes away from there. It was definitely like kind of watching that. It's like, oh, well, no, (laughs) like, you know, um, just kind of the background out there. Like it definitely is promontory is kind of middle of nowhere, Utah. But then um, if you go there now, I guess you'd say, you know, there's definitely a lot more buildings and things like that. So I don't know. I mean, maybe they kept it pretty accurate, but it felt like that part was just in this big field and that's not how it really is in real life.
0: What's that look like in real life?
3: Um, I mean, there's de- it's definitely a field, but there, you know, there's the railroad. There are some buildings kind of around it, and so if you look in the movie, it's just kind of the background. It's just completely filled, and that's just not how it is in real life. Mm. And so I kind of thought that was interesting because, and I know that again, it's a movie, so they're kind of taking some liberties. But you know, I mean, you could actually really go there. <laughs>
0: I've done it, so. Did you see, like, that golden spike when you were there that they put in? Or is that just in the ground?
3: No. So, yeah, I think it's in the ground. But when you... So, when you're younger, if you live up there, you go there for a field trip to school. And oh, you kind of get to relive that happening once a year. Oh, neat. It's, yeah, they actually make it a they big a celebration. Little, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so.
0: The Promontory Point is at least kind of an interesting, like, point in time to set a Western. Yeah. Because that is now... Officially, the sort of histor in a historical sense, the end of the Wild West. Now, anybody can buy a train ticket and travel across the country, whereas before, you were basically traveling out into the middle of nowhere with your horse and buggy.
3: Yeah, but I'm I just know from you know living there that it's a little bit not accurate. Yeah, that's okay.
0: Because <laughs> there's the old photo, like that famous photo of Promontory Point, where there's the two trains coming.
3: Yeah, and in the movie. Um, they only even have one train.
0: They've only got one train?
3: In the movie. Oh, I yeah. don't even remember. Yeah. Um, they have Will Smith's train, that mm-hmm. got, you know, his partner's train. They have that. But then on the left hand side, there's no other train. So there's like definitely no, like, they don't even recreate that moment. Oh,
0: they messed it up.
3: Yeah. It's okay. We'll give them some
0: liberties. There was also no robot spider, though.
3: True. True. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. They kind of did a really good job, though, at tying in the spider. Because at the end, um, or when they first got kicked off of their train, and they were camping, you know, kind of in the middle of nowhere at night, Will Smith was talking about, like, the spider and that wasp. And then, you know, at the end, they bring in the
0: The little uh, What is it? The little parasail, or he's got a little flying machine bike.
3: Yeah, and he actually kind of, he made a joke in the movie referencing, like, Michael Jordan. Um, They called it Something Jordan but I can't remember what what it was. Was it Air Jordan? I think it was, yeah. It's got to be Air Jordan. (laughs) Yeah, Air Jordan. So it was kind of just a little bit funny, but
0: yeah. I don't know if you know a little bit about the, kind of the story of that movie. Will Smith actually passed up The Matrix to do that. Really? Yeah. So he was approached, because this movie came out in 1999, same year as The Matrix. He was approached by the Wachowskis and he was just like, I don't get what this movie is. Like, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to go with Barry Sonnenfeld, you know, because the director of this also did Men in Black. That was one of Will Smith's biggest hits. He's like, I'm going to go do a Western with Barry Sonnenfeld. This will turn out great. I don't know what you guys are doing with this Matrix movie. This sounds weird.
3: So, I mean, do you feel like he gave up a huge opportunity, though?
0: It would have been cool, you know, Will Smith is Neo in the Matrix. But Will Smith is doing fine.
3: Yeah. You know, like,
0: <laughs> it, it's not like, oh, this was the end of Will Smith. Will Smith's doing great.
3: True. Yeah, he does.
0: And, uh, yeah, this was actually a really big bomb. It did not do very well. People did not respond to this movie.
3: I'm when not it came surprised, out. though.
0: Yeah. <laughs> know. It's a very strange little movie. And as far as I know, so the original TV show that it's based on, that came out in 1965. And it had, like, four seasons. And as far as I know, I don't think it has anything to do with the movie. Like, it's not even a black guy and a white guy. for the leads, it's two white guys. I don't know if one of them is an inventor or not.
3: And so what was up with the, I can't even remember his name, the guy that invented the spider.
0: Oh, Loveless?
3: Yeah, Loveless. Like what was his whole whole deal? Like I never really seemed to gather that besides like he just wanted to take over the world.
1: Why y'all look like you seen a
0: ghost. It's me, dear friends. Alive and kicking. Well, alive, anyway.
3: (laughs) We may have lost the war, but heaven knows we haven't
0: lost our sense of humor. No, not even when we lost a lung, a spleen, a bladder, two legs, 35 feet of small intestine,
1: and our ability to reproduce all in the name of the
3: South, do we ever lose our sense of humor?
1: Now, I owe a deep debt of gratitude to our friends from across the sea for their comfort and kindness.
3: So, mikasa casa es su casa. Bet com
0: che Let the party begin! Uh, Mr.
3: Wells. How nice of you to join us tonight and add color to these monochromatic proceedings.
2: Well, when a fella comes back from the dead, I find that an occasion to stand up be counted.
3: Miss East informs me that you're expecting to see General McGrath here. Well, I knew him years ago, but I haven't seen him in a coon's age.
0: Well, I can see where it'd be difficult for a man of your stature to keep in touch with even half
1: the people you know.
3: Well, perhaps the lovely Miss East will keep you from being a slave to your disappointment.
1: Well, you know beautiful women, they encourage you one minute, and cut the legs
0: out from under you the next. Right.
3: Excuse me, Mr. West.
0: Thank you. Wow, so his like backstory, it's Kenneth Branagh who does uh, that guy, who's actually, uh, he's a really big Shakespearean actor. Okay. Yeah, he also directed, like, Thor. um, And then he did, like, Frankenstein and, like, a lot of, like, you know, Shakespeare movies. Yeah. Um, So he's actually a really good actor, but he is super over the top in this. But his whole thing is he is really, really bummed that uh, the Civil War didn't go his way. (laughs) So he is going to take over the United States and divide it. And he's going to get a large chunk of land all to himself. And the South is going to get to become their own country. So... He's just a very mustache-twirling, just over-the-top villain in every possible way.
3: Yeah, he he really was. And, I mean, he didn't even really do his own dirty work. He had all the women that he, like, there, there was three women that, like, helped him out.
0: Oh, yeah. They all did it. Yep.
3: till the very end.
0: And what always sticks out in my mind, too, is, like, the people working the spider. Yeah. <laughs> is, you know, he's got, like, a guy made of metal and a guy who knows kung fu. He's got just the weirdest cast of characters around him. Bizarre experiments. He's definitely a mad scientist. He's a mad steampunk scientist. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. But this would, unfortunately, set kind of a precedence because this was a huge, big-budget Western that completely bombed, and it took a long time before somebody would want to try that again. 2013. The Lone Ranger, the biggest... One of the biggest bombs Disney has ever had. It was like a $300 million movie. Yeah. And I don't think... I know I definitely saw it at the time.
3: Um, I did not see it, but I heard things about it. And based off of what I heard, I chose not to see it. No. So...
0: And this is definitely one of those where it's popular IP. Because by the time we're in 2011, I think there's a lot of superhero movies that have been real big hits. And... The Lone Ranger, I think, is a little bit more closer to Batman than he is, you know, like your typical Western. He wears a mask. He fights crime. There's kind of a mythology to, you know, who he is. He's got a sidekick. So I think they were kind of hoping it would sort of bleed in a little bit of the superhero audience into this. But it just did not work.
3: So, okay. So Johnny Depp was Mm -hmm. the sidekick. Yes. then Tonto. Tonto. Who is... The Ranger.
0: Army Hammer is his name.
3: Okay, so what is kind of the, the story of these two in the movie?
2: Little brother, I hereby deputize you a Texas Ranger. My dance.
1: To the outlaw, make no mistake, law and order has come
0: to the West.
3: It's a nice hat by the way. Didn't have a bigger one? <laughs>
1: Give me your hand! the great beyond, a vision told me a great warrior would help me on my quest.
2: One who has been to the other side and returned.
1: All I know is that a man killed my brother. If we ride together, we ride for justice. Justice is what I seek. Let's do this. So
0: it, I guess it kind of varies. to uh, from what you're reading, The Lone Ranger, because there's, like, comic books and radio shows, and there was, like, a TV show back in the day. In this particular movie, Tonto, like, resurrects him from the dead, okay. and he's going to be, like, this, you know, Wild West warrior who's going to stop all these, like... There's actually some really, like, dark villains in the movie. Like, at one point, William Fichtner is, like, eating a man's heart. Oh, okay. In, like, a Disney movie, so he's going to be the one to stop him.
3: Oh, wow. Okay. And uh <laughs>
0: There's Throughout the whole uh, history of the Lone Ranger, Tonto has always called him Kemosabi, which it means wrong brother. And so it's like, why was he always calling him that? So they try and justify that. So Army Hammer's Lone Ranger has got a brother who's just like the best, like the greatest guy. And that's who Johnny Depp tried to resurrect, but he got Kemosabi, the wrong brother.
3: <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> and he's got to make the best with, you know, this guy and...
3: But I mean, so, like you said, in The Lone Ranger, you have Johnny Depp, Wild Wild West, you have Will Smith, both pretty big actors. Mm-hmm. So why do you feel like their audience didn't follow them?
0: I think both of those movies are just really, really trying too hard. <laughs> like, they are just going as big as you can. And especially with the, the Lone Ranger, a lot of people will point to Johnny Depp as being the problem. And I think a lot of people stayed away from it just because they're like, why is this white guy playing a native... And it just yeah, people didn't respond to him. People didn't respond to, you know, Army Hammer. And I just don't think that there was a lot of interest in, you know, either Wild Wild West or the Lone Ranger, at least for, like, the audience that they were trying to bring in. Because they were, you know, Wild Wild West is not aiming to bring in people from really TV show fans, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, why else would they go so big with the blockbuster? You know, why would they bring a giant spider in? <laughs> you know, like, that's not what fans of the TV show want.
3: Yeah, true. That makes sense.
0: As far as like a big budget Westerns goes, this is kind of the nail in the coffin. Nobody has wanted to go back and try and do something on this scale. Because this is Pirates of the Caribbean level big. This is, you know, a Disney blockbuster. And it just did not work at all. Um, Even things like uh, The Magnificent Seven. The remake of that classic Western, which was a remake of a classic samurai movie, the one with Chris Pratt and Denzel... It got a good budget, 100 million plus, but nowhere near what the Lone Ranger got, and not even close to what Wild Wild West got. And that brings the 90s blockbuster era to a close. will see though um, with Westerns though is they go a lot more smaller budget they go a lot more adult and they go a lot more they have a lot more difficult themes so there's a couple of Westerns that you'll notice with that uh, that will come out that kind of fit this trend so there's like No Country for Old Men which came out in 2007 that was a big Oscar uh, hit and that's a modern-day set Western Uh, there's also Hell or High Water which is a couple of brothers, Robin Banks in the modern-day Texas. So that's one thing you do see with uh, this new post postmodern age of Westerns. Uh, they, don't, they don't want it to look like a period-piece cowboy movie. They want to kind of do the opposite. So they set it in modern day, but they try and hit a lot harder themes and really kind of get it, uh, you know, some more, some more adult themes and stuff like that. And then with regards to being filmed in Utah, Uh, There's a very good movie called The Wind River, which is about Elizabeth Olsen, who is an FBI agent who's brought into this frozen Wyoming town um, in the middle of this Indian reservation, and she's uh, in charge of trying to solve the rape of this young Native American girl.
3: I'm
0: Jane Banner. by yourself? Yeah.
1: Me. No, me. Ben Shoyo. I'm the uh, tribal police chief. That's Corey Lambert with Fish and Wildlife. He's the one who found the body. And this is his uh, father-in-law, Dan. You don't do nothing.
2: They got the same job, eh? Well, I
3: have, I'm sorry to meet under these circumstances. So, do you want to show me the body? I don't mean to be rude. I'm just freezing my ass off here, so... The quicker the the better.
1: Yeah, well, that's gonna get a lot worse if you go out there dressed like that. Your body's five miles on snowmobile. I'm afraid you'd be dead by the time we got there.
2: I I got the call when I was at a weapons horse in Riverton, so this is, this is what I've got.
1: Well, you should have a winter gear bag in that truck.
2: Well, um, no, that's not
3: a government vehicle. It's rental. I flew in from Vegas. So I'm just the closest agent to the scene. You don't don't think I can, I can make it?
1: Oh, you're from Vegas?
3: No, I'm not, I'm not from Vegas. I'm stationed. There, I am from Fort Lauderdale. I'm sorry. Um, if we're
2: gonna keep having this conversation, let's get you fixed up outside. inside, it's
0: gonna be great. Thanks. Sorry, excuse me. Thanks. See what they send us, Uh, Jeremy Renner is basically a hunter, like this guy you would hire to. He's like the kind of guy like farmers call when they've got like coyotes and bobcats oh, that okay. are eating their flock. He comes out and he hunts them, so he's a very good tracker. And he has kind of his own personal sticks with it. But she recognizes like how useful he could be and kind of brings him in to work with her and the tribal police. This movie, even though it takes place in Wyoming, is filmed kind of all over Utah. They film in Park City. They film in uh, the Snowbird area. They film in Colville. So it's very mountainous, a lot of forest, and it's all just cold. Everything is just like frozen. And that's a big part of the movie is... When they find the girl, she hasn't actually been murdered per se. They just recognize that she's been raped. She dies because her like the water in her lungs froze. Oh
3: my gosh! Yeah,
0: like it's, it's, it's really really dark. Yeah, and it goes a lot into just kind of the like problems that like modern day Native American people have. Like Elizabeth Olsen's working with the the tribal police, and they've got this huge reservation. It's like the size of Rhode Island. He's got six officers working with them. And at the end of the movie, they have this uh, tagline that talks about, you know, missing persons and Native American women almost don't have accurate statistics. Like there's just not enough data. And so basically, they just say that we don't know how many Native American women have disappeared over the years. Uh, so it's very dark, but it's uh, it's a very basically the antithesis of what you'd see in a lot of Western movies in the fifties where it's very sympathetic toward the the native people and just like their struggles.
3: That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I mean like realistically though, I mean the fact that they like, it's true that the stats on like native American women who are missing or passed are very, um, they're not accurate at all. And, um, I have a couple of friends who are native American who post stats very regularly um and it's devastating to to
0: see those it's like oh okay it's brutal yeah
3: yeah sometimes those are the best movies though Mm -hmm.
0: so yeah of the of the westerns i'm kind of happy they're doing more like that rather than going super big with the the blockbusters but wind river also ties back into the old westerns too i think you don't get justice from the system. You get justice by getting it yourself. Yeah, mm-hmm. up until now, that is, as far as I can find, the most modern Western that has been filmed in Utah. Interesting. Yeah. But it's a very good movie. I've seen it twice. I watched it on Netflix again the other day. It's hard to watch, but it's very, very good.
3: Okay. I'll take it out.
0: All right, yep. Well, thank you for joining me.
3: You're welcome. <laughs>
0: The Western has had its ups and downs, but I think there's a reason we still see the influences of the Western in things like Star Wars, The Mandalorian, and superhero movies like Logan. We still like those stories of people making things right on their own, about being the lone hero in a harsh world. Just this year, Netflix released one of the best original takes on a Western I'd ever seen with The Harder They Fall. The Western is still going on, and Utah, it's not going anywhere. Thank you for joining me. I'd like to thank my guest. Theo and Shaylee, and the original Utah Rewiden team, Guy, Camille, and Aria.